You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So for today, typically what we would usually be doing is looking at the Detroit Lions, but since we lost a couple days thanks to the Christmas season, I'm not so sure we're going to get there. We'll see. It always depends on the flow, and, you know, if I can get through my thoughts quickly, then we're going to need the Detroit Lions. If not, then, um, you know, we won't. But I guess if I were to give a theme for what I, what we are going to be talking about for sure, it's going to be to sort of dispel the idea that the Packers don't belong, or I guess further dispel that idea. Um, I've been kind of looking into it, and the, the biggest thing that's prompted this is, I, I don't know, I guess just kind of getting tired of hearing it because I because I get it on some level I understand that there's frustration and I understand there's imperfections but every team has imperfections the fact that the Packers imperfections are seen as them being fraudulent in other words their imperfections mean that they don't even belong because there's a bunch of perfect teams including even the Vikings I mean the Vikings are basically perfect I don't even know how the Packers beat them the Vikings are perfect you know, the, the Saints, the 40, these teams are all perfect. The, the Packers, I mean, maybe if they're at home, they can do some stuff, but they just don't belong. I just don't buy it. And the more I look into it, the more frustrated I get because it's like, where are you getting this stuff from? Again, I understand the struggles. I get that they have issues, and I fully acknowledge that maybe they're not the best team depending on how you want to rank a team. I don't even know how you, I mean, there's ways to do it. It just, it just depends how you want to do it. And, and because football is so unbelievably complex, there isn't really a right way to do it. There's just different variables that you can kind of wait and look at and whatever. But the, the more I look into it, it's like, this, this, this is a good team. Pretty much from every perspective, except from the one area which I talked about, I think, yesterday or the day before, where I said the problem is everybody looks through the lens of Aaron Rodgers. Everybody looks at it and says, this is a team that needs Aaron Rodgers to be an elite quarterback. He's not playing like an elite quarterback, therefore the Packers aren't very good. That's really the only thing I can come to. That and the you know, the narrative about the wide receivers, which I'm going to talk about as being somewhat false. Not entirely false, but it's not a uniquely bad wide receiver situation. I'd like it to get better, but it's not the worst even within playoff teams, as we'll talk about. And um, also, I think arguably the the team that you could say is arguably the best in football is, I think, one that is very, very comparable to the Packers. The more I looked into it, it, I I just kept seeing, you know, if you look at this position, it's the Packers and someone from this team. And the fact that these two are comparable, but one is heralded as this elite football team and the other one is seen as a fraud. You know, I don't know, call me biased, but I don't really like it too much. But anyways, that is the plan for today. A little short on time, but you know what? It's Friday. I still feel like it's Christmas. I might just, you know, call in for about an hour because I just, 
I don't care. I want to get through this. I'm tired of being rushed. Priorities, man. Anyways, as always, I'd love for you to get involved in any way possible. So if you wouldn't mind jumping in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, it is a very, very awesome community. I'm very, very excited about it. I'm sure as it continues to grow, it just means more problems, and I'm going to have to be a babysitter. But as of now, everything seems to be cool, and it's a great group of people, and they they just absolutely crack me up. So uh, go ahead and make sure that you're in there. Do me a favor and like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page, because I'm going to be investing more and more of my efforts into that. And if you really want to help out the show, the two biggest ways to do it, number one would be leaving a five-star iTunes review or wherever it is you listen. If they allow you to leave reviews, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. That will help me rise up in the rankings, which I think over the course of this year I have gone up a decent chunk, but um, I can't really see how I am on, on iTunes. But some of these others, I'm, I'm buried still behind. Not, not, I'm not, I don't think I'm really buried behind the shows that aren't even active anymore. Maybe I am. That was how I was at the start of the season, which was really annoying. I haven't had an episode in four years. Why am I behind them? But uh, it's still a little bit of a climb. And by, you know, listening and rating and reviewing, it kind of gets iTunes and some of these other places to see, oh, maybe we should bump this podcast up a little bit. So if you appreciate the show, I would greatly appreciate that. It's a very quick and easy and effective and cheap way to help me out. And if you really, really appreciate the show, there are ways to give financially. I've got Patreon, which is uh, a way to support on a month-to-month basis for a little, as little as a buck a month, and I do throw up some extra goodies in there. A buck a month, I mean, obviously, that's that's $12 a year. That's absolutely nothing, but it, it is helpful to me. But if you want to see some of the stuff that I put up, usually I put it at the $5 a month tier. So if you just want to help out a buck a month, it'd be great. If you want to see some of the extra goodies, $5 will, will get you what you need. And if you have an aversion to that or just don't like the month-to-month thing, I do have some other links and ways to help. Uh, just check the description. It would be greatly appreciated. Anyways, let's take our break and uh, start talking about why the Packers need to start getting a little bit more respect. So I don't know about you, but I've actually never been to a Green Bay Packers playoff game. And as I've been doing this podcast, I'm starting to get this really anxious feeling about the fact that I've never been to one. And it's also starting to just kind of bother me because I got this I I basically have this nightmare in which the Packers go to the Super Bowl this year and it's the last time they go in my lifetime and I never actually get to see them in the playoffs or the Super Bowl because that is the ultimate wish list that's the ultimate bucket list unfortunately I haven't planned adequately to be able to pay for this but I know some of you are in a different spot in your lives and I want you to genuinely consider the fact that the Bears had a really good year and then kind of fell off a little bit You can't just assume that it's going to be Green Bay Packers in the playoffs all year, every year. Definitely not all year, because that's not how the playoffs work. There are playoff tickets currently available right now on Vivid Seats. Allow me to just encourage you to take a look, ask around, talk to the spouse, talk to the kids, whoever it is you got to run this by. Maybe see how rich rich Uncle Ned's health is doing. I don't know. I don't know if you can count on that uh, windfall You might have to pull the trigger yourself, I don't know. But at the very least, all of us shouldn't have that level of regret of never having gone to a Packers playoff game. And so if you have the opportunity, I would definitely encourage you, and I would also encourage you to use Vivid Seats. They've got the 100% buyer guarantee. They can afford you credits back after every single purchase. And of course, if it's your first time, you can use promo code OVERTIME and receive a discount of up to $100. 
In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so I don't exactly know where even to start, but I guess we'll just start with um, the biggest complaint for the Packers right now which can't be the defense and can't be the offensive line and can't be the run game because all those things are actually performing at an extremely high level. So this entire idea that the Packers are fraudulent, don't belong, all this stuff is based on the fact that Aaron Rodgers is, I guess, not good and the wide receivers are terrible. So let's just start with that and see if that's even correct. So, first of all, I'll freely acknowledge that he hasn't been the best quarterback in football. I think it's a wild stretch to even try to pretend that he has. Drew Brees, whether you want to look at PFF grades or just flat-out statistics, has probably for the second year in a row now just been an absolute freak of a human being. 75.3% completion percentage, 7.8 yards per attempt, 24 touchdowns to four interceptions. But even at that, if you look at Aaron Rodgers, um, the completion percentage is much lower, and we can dig into why, but 3,685 yards, which is more than Drew Brees, 7.2 yards per attempt, which is a little bit less, 24 touchdowns, and 3 interceptions, which 24 and 4 is about the freakiest, thi- freakiest thing you'll see, although 36 and 6 from Lamar Jackson is also pretty freaky, but 24 and 3... I feel like that's kind of up there with 24 and 4. I don't know. Now, statistics aren't everything, but, you know, if I just give you the grades, I get yelled at for that. But let's look at a couple other things. Drew Brees has been sacked 12 times this year. 12. Now, this should all be prefaced with the fact that he missed a lot of time, which is why his yardage is low and the sacks are low and all these things, and also why a lot of these things are much more impressive. The amount of touchdowns he's gotten while missing weeks 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, one of their, somewhere in there was a bye week, but still. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, has been sacked 35 times, which is more than Kirk Cousins, who has a terrible offensive line. It's a lot more than Lamar Jackson at 23. Uh, Pat Mahomes, again, injured, but only 17 times. Tom Brady, only 26 times. As far as playoff quarterbacks go, um, the only one I'm seeing that's, or the only two that I'm seeing that have been sacked more than Aaron Rodgers are Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, both of which have really, really, really bad offensive lines, which is kind of frustrating. I know a lot of it is Aaron Rodgers holding on to the ball, but the Vikings' offensive line has allowed less sacks. That's that's a little upsetting. But, but let's just look at PFF grades real quick. Aaron Rodgers right now, over the course of the year, is ranked 11th overall. As a passer, in other words, what he does with his arm, he's 10th overall. Now, that's still behind Breeze and Wilson. It's behind Tannehill, who's playing out of his mind. It's behind Cousins and Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes. 
but it's basically tied with Tom Brady. It's ahead of Dak Prescott. It's ahead of Deshaun Watson. It's ahead of Carson Wentz. It's ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo. And so if the entire crux of this is they can't win because Aaron Rodgers isn't good enough, that's ridiculous. He's at worst an average quarterback right now in terms of average in terms of where all the playoff teams are at. He's well above average over the, you know, the entire league. But if you lined up all the quarterbacks that are in the playoffs, Aaron Rodgers right now would be smack dab in the middle. Yeah, disappointing for sure. And again, we can blame it on wide receivers, this, that, or the other. It is what it is. But again, the only way that you look at this and say this team is a fraud is if you say this team can only win with Aaron Rodgers, and that's just not the fact. I don't know if there's been a single game that the Packers have won this year that is entirely based on the effort of Aaron Rodgers, which is what it used to be in the past. We win and lose based on Aaron Rodgers, and that's basically it. I don't know if that's happened once this year. Maybe Detroit? I don't know. Well, then you could say, well, what about recent history? Hasn't he been worse more recently? Well, he's actually gotten a little bit of an uptick. Over the last four weeks, he's sitting at 15th overall as a passer. 14th overall overall. Still ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo. Still ahead of Deshaun Watson. Again, not the greatest quarterback in football. That's just not how he's playing right now. But he's not a bad quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. Aaron Rodgers in a down year is still a top half quarterback. And so again, it, it, if we want to say Aaron Rodgers isn't the same Aaron Rodgers we remember, that's fine. Because that's true. What we've seen over the last four or five weeks since the bye week is not 2011, 12, 13, 14 Aaron Rodgers. But what he's able to do mentally, as well as with his arm, the quick release, getting people lined up in the right place at the right time, getting the right call played, I would still say from a standpoint of looking at replacement, Aaron Rodgers is the most important person on this team. Because if you replace Aaron Rodgers with somebody that isn't Aaron Rodgers, this team isn't going to win any more games. I would have thought maybe Devontae would be on that list, but look how good the team was when Devontae was gone. Now, if it wasn't Aaron Rodgers distributing the ball to the other wide receivers, I don't think we'd go anywhere. And you could try to say the same thing about Zadarius, and maybe there's some truth there, but we still got Kenny, we still got Preston, we still got Rashawn, we still got Kyler. So he's the most important person on the Packers team. They can't win without him. They're winning with him. He's a top-half quarterback. He's a middle-of-the-pack playoff quarterback right now with, obviously, elite upside if he can get back into a rhythm. And this offense is starting to get into a rhythm. So, again, there's there's a level of criticism that's fair, and then there's just nonsense. The, the people, in, and I, I, of all the talking heads in the media, of which I, ver- I listen to very few, I actually like Colin Coward probably the most. I think he reasons through his thought process pretty well a lot of the time. But sometimes I just don't know what he's talking about. And this is one of those areas where he's continuing with that narrative I just, of, of I just don't get how the Packers are winning because they don't deserve to win. They're not good enough to win. And as I've said before, you can't fluke your way into 12 and 13 wins. You, you can fluke a couple that you maybe, you know, based on how good your roster is, you should be a 10-win team and you're a 12-win team or whatever. But there's not a 6-win team that's going to get 13 wins. There's not an 8-win team that's going to get 13 wins. And beyond that, you know, if you want to look at a fluke, you can look at things like, okay, well, what is the competition level you've played? The, the Green Bay Packers have the best record against teams with winning records in the entire NFL. So it's the exact opposite of a fluke. If anything, maybe their bad play is somewhat of a fluke because they've gone up against some of the best teams in football and have come out ahead. But the they don't belong because of their quarterback narrative is silly. Now, now, I don't think too many people are making that, but I want to start there because everything is focused on Aaron Rodgers. When people talk about the Packers, the first thing they say is he's not playing up to his standard, and that's true. 
But the two bits of good news are, number one, they're winning despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers is now only maybe the 10 to 15-ish quarterback, maybe barely a top 10 quarterback, whereas before he was a top three every single year. And by the way, he's been alternating from, you know, elite year, good year, elite year, good year for about six years now, which is to say that next year is going to be awesome. But it also means that there's a lot of room to grow because mentally and athletically, he's one of the most gifted, he's still one of the most, if not the most gifted quarterbacks in all of football. There's, there's a rhythmic issue, and this has always been true with the Packers, where there's a rhythm. There's some teams that are, that are basically like a system. You look at a Tom Brady, he's a robot. Aaron Rodgers is, is very much rhythmic, and the team is very much rhythm. When they're hot, they're unstoppable. When they're moving, they can't get stopped. But when they can't get into a rhythm, everything just falls apart. That's not true of every team. That is true of the Packers. And, and for some reason, when Aaron Rodgers, he's having, a, having trouble getting into a rhythm, which is understandable because it's a new offense. And yes, the wide receivers are not super elite and sometimes struggle. And that throws off the rhythm. And when the rhythm gets thrown off, especially early, it kind of people get frustrated and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It snowballs. But again, as the offense starts to find rhythm and, and Aaron Rodgers begins to get into a rhythm, He's still one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in football, even if over the if, even if looking into the past, he hasn't been top five caliber. Looking into the future, we know he's top three caliber. It's really just a matter of fine-tuning and trying to continue to grow this rhythm in the offense, and we're already seeing massive development. The run game has been hitting kind of all year, but if you look at the way in which they're doing it, if you look at the level of blocking, the evolution of this team has been incredible. The wide receivers that are getting involved in the blocking, the tight ends, the offensive line, the fact that they're able to run outside as well as inside, which is something they could not do. And by the way, if you remember, I said this early in the year, they could not run the ball the first few games at all. And, and largely I was saying, well, that's because they were trying to go outside and then they come inside. Regardless, I had said, if you look at the Tennessee Titans, they had a terrible time trying to run the ball early in the season. By the end of the season, um... Derrick Henry was arguably the best running back in football. He had that running game going. He had to build that culture into the team. That's exactly what's happening here. But instead of Derrick Henry, it's Aaron Jones. He's become one of the most electric running backs in football, and it's not always entirely based on him. His his PFF grade, which again, isn't everything, but it wasn't even all that high this week. I think a lot of the praise went to this really great blocking unit, including the offensive line, as well as the tight ends and the wide receivers. It's just a culture thing. But that's just what's starting to grow, and, and, and it's amazing the level of success as this team is just now starting to figure out how this all works. The defense had its first ever game without a missed tackle. That was confirmed by Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin also said he's never seen a performance like Zadarius Smith put on yesterday. Things are just starting to get fit. You know, Kenny's just starting to get into his groove. Devontae had his first real big game in, in a while. And this is a rhythm that comes down to players, but also comes down to play calling. And you heard that from Aaron Rodgers talking about Matt LaFleur, how there was a game plan and he stuck to it. And, and, it, and, and it was a good plan. And you look at how they just grind down a team and the, the effectiveness and against a really, really good defense. And by the way, they did it against the Chicago Bears, who have a really, really good defense. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't flawless. But nobody is against those defenses. It's the ability to just keep coming back and keep grinding your way down the field and keep chunking points at a faster rate than they can. And when you have a defense that plays at the caliber that the Green Bay Packers defense has played at, I'm sorry, but Aaron Rodgers being only the top 10 quarterback in football isn't super scary to me. But let's move on to look at the the quote-unquote much bigger issue here. 
the wide receivers. And, and listen, I'll grant you, this is not an ideal unit, and, and, and especially if we're doing the same thing with Rodgers as we are with the wide receivers, looking through the lens of what the Packers usually are. Granted, they haven't had an elite group in a while, but it wasn't that long ago that we had Devontae and Jordy and Cobb. And that was a good unit. I mean, Jordy was never a bad wide receiver here, aside from the time in which Brett Hundley was the quarterback, and it was just horrible. So if we look through that lens of, well, they always have at least three really good wide receivers, and now they just have one, yeah, okay, it's bad. But here, here's a little exercise I did. And, and you can rank wide receiver groups in any way that you want. I came up with a certain kind of way of doing it just to kind of give a general idea. I put them into three tiers, in other words, three categories of best to worst, and then rank them within each tier. And I did this for all of the um, the playoff teams or potential playoff teams. I think I left off a couple. I don't. It does. It's not an exact science. Who cares? I've got 13 teams here, which I think there's only. I don't know. I don't know how many are possibly in. But basically, the three tiers are: Do you have three wide receivers, two wide receivers, or one wide receiver? Or in one team's case, do you kind of have zero-ish? And then also, there's the the question of, you know, number one wide receiver is. is again, this is all very broad, I'm painting with a broad brush, but stick with me. A top 32 wide receiver is technically in the spectrum of a number one wide receiver. A top 64 guy is a number two. Now what I did is, I'm I'm saying you have three wide receivers, three capable wide receivers, if you have at least one number one, and two in the top 64. You have two if you have one number one and one number two, or possibly two number ones or whatever, That, that, that goes to where exactly you're ranked. And then one if you have a number one, and nobody else in the top 64. And again, in one team's case, they don't even have a top 32. They just have one inside the top 64. But here, here's the list that I came up with, and I have these wide receiver groups in order. The number one group, and this, this obviously this tier is guys who have three wide receivers that I have, is the Texan. DeAndre Hopkins is the number five overall wide receiver in football, but Will Fuller is top 32, which means they have two wide receivers in the top 32 again. A lot of variability. PFF isn't perfect, but that's pretty solid. And then after that, they have Kenny Stills, who is number 40, which is actually kind of close to being top 32. It's closer to being 32 than 64. So they've got three pretty solid wide receivers. After that, I have the Dallas Cowboys. Amari Cooper is number 8. Michael Gallup is 37, almost a number 1 wide receiver. And Randall Cobb is 49, which also is not that bad. It's basically the Texans, but everybody's just a little bit worse. After that, surprisingly, I have the Titans, largely thanks to what A.J. Brown has done, who's been a fantastic wide receiver. He is currently ranked 14th overall. And if you look uh, at more recent history, I think he's like number one. They, they actually, if you look over the last four weeks, the Titans have the number one and number three wide receiver in football right now. The Titans are super scary. I don't want them in the playoffs. They're freaking me out. And I said it before, and I'll say it again, that is already, and it's early. Usually it's a team that sneaks in and then kind of gets blown out, and it's like, why did they even get into the playoffs? They don't belong in there, and then they're the ones that kind of show everybody up. If the Titans can do what they're doing, they're they're a scary football team. But anyways, A.J. Brown, Adam Humphreys is 48, and then um, Davis, who was the guy that's supposed to be their number one for a long time that's never really clicked, is 57. So still a top 64 wide receiver. He's kind of coming on, but he's their number three, which is kind of sad because he should be their number one. Then you have the 49ers who really are only on this list. If it wasn't for Emmanuel Sanders, they would have one of the worst groups in football. But Emmanuel Sanders is number 15 overall, which is their number one. And then they have Debo Samuel at 51. They have Kendrick Bourne at 55. So they're kind of latter, second-tier guys. But they got two of them. 
And then the third best in this tier is the Bills, who have, which again, surprising, I wouldn't have thought this, but John Brown is number 25, so barely a number one. Cole Beasley's 33, and then Isaiah McKenzie is 57th. Again, variability, if you want to kick him out, fine, they have two, but still, I'm putting those guys in that. So those are the top tier and the ranking of the that top tier. Next are teams that have two wide receivers. The first in this group is the Viking, which is surprising probably to a lot of people because they would look at it, say that this is an elite group. And again, you can rank them however you want, but they have two guys, but both of them are in the top 32. However, not super high. So they, so every single group, you look at the Texans, they got a number five. You look at Cooper and Dallas, they got number eight. Titans with A.J. Brown is 14. Sanders is 15. Their highest graded receiver right now is Stephon Diggs at number 20 and Adam Thielen at 22. So they got two guys, which is the first thing and why they're in the second tier. They don't have a number three. Both of them are number one wide receivers, but kind of lower-ish number ones at this point in the season. After that, which again is debatable, but I'll take two number ones over a number one and a number two, but still kind of debatable, would be the Chiefs. The reason I say that is Tyreek Hill is the fourth best wide receiver in football, but after that is Mikkel Hardman, who's number 54. So you can pick and choose how you'd want to rank these. But again, they've only got two wide receivers and arguably they only have one. But, you know, again, I'll give him credit because he's within the top 64. After that group, I have the Green Bay Packers. Why? They only have one wide receiver. Well, if we're just using a strict criteria, listen, I understand the idea of saying they only have one because it's Devontae Adams. But if we just want to say based off of guys that have name recognition and not actually use some kind of criteria, fine. Then Mikal Hardman's off the list. The Chiefs only have one. And we can go down the line and just start ripping people off. But I'm going to use an actual standard. Here's the thing. Adams is the number nine wide receiver in football. He's a top ten wide receiver. Which if we can pause here for a moment, of all the teams, only the Saints, the Chiefs, the Cowboys and the Texans have a top 10 wide receiver. The Titans don't, the 49ers don't, the Bills don't, the Seahawks don't, the Vikings don't, the Patriots don't, the Eagles don't, the Ravens don't. Beyond that, they also have a guy who, over the entire course of the season, is a top 64 wide receiver. He's cracked that mark, and that's Alan Lazard. He's number 52 overall, which is better than Mecole Hardman. In fact, it's better than Isaiah McKenzie. It's actually almost exactly tied with Debo Samuel and the 49ers. It's better than Kedrick Bourne. It's better than Davis with the Titans. It's better than, well, that's that's all I got other than guys that are coming later. But So the Packers right now have two. Devontae Adams, who's top 10, and Alan Lazard, who's a sort of late number two. You can debate it if you want. That's fine. But again, if we're going to do that, and, and we can go back and do it, we're ripping a bunch of guys off of this list. And it just reorders everything so that the Packers still aren't at the bottom, no matter how you want to rank this thing. But let's continue on. The Seattle Seahawks I have below the Green Bay Packers. These are playoff teams. And keep in mind, the reason that I'm doing this is everybody's looking at this and saying the, the Packers have the worst wide receiver group in football. It's horrible. I'm just looking at playoff teams and saying it's not the worst. Seattle has a worse group. Why? Lockett is our number one wide receiver. He's not as good as Adam. DK Metcalf is a big name who gets a good amount of touchdowns, but his PFF grade is 61, which means he's worse than Alan Lazard. I understand he's a big, strong guy that gets touchdowns, but on a play-to-play basis, the people that are grading these out believe that Alan Lazard is a better wide receiver than DK Metcalf. Of course that's debatable. Of course it depends on how you want to grade it. And of course that doesn't mean that that's going to hold up for all of eternity. It's entirely possible DK Metcalf ends up being a top 15 wide receiver. At some point, Alan Lazard probably has a lower ceiling because he's he's not DK Metcalf. But I'm just calling it what it is. I got to use some kind of a standard here because I'm tired of people just throwing things out there randomly. 
Well, they only have one. Okay, that's fine, and I, I don't super hate that. But, but we got to start using some kind of a standard. And if you know something better than this, let me know. Let's continue on. The Patriots are below the Green Bay Packers. Julian Edelman is their number one wide receiver. He's ranked 31st. He's, they barely have a number one wide receiver. After that, they have Jacoby Myers, who barely makes the list at 64th overall. If he was one spot lower, the Patriots would have one of the worst wide receiver groups in football. Now, also bear in mind, this isn't even the lowest tier. The Packers are almost exactly dead smack in the middle. They're in the second tier, and they're third out of five within that second tier. So, so far, I think they have a better group than the Seahawks and a better group than the Patriots, and I don't think the Patriots are even debatable. But yet, how many times do you hear about the Patriots are frauds and don't belong because Tom Brady's having a down year and they don't have wide receivers? You don't hear it because nobody would dare slander Tom Brady in that way, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure it has to do with... Because, look, let, let's face it. Aaron Rodgers was given a pass probably a lot longer than was deserved. He started showing signs and weaknesses of things, you know... At some point, let's say 2015, and nobody wanted to talk about it. Because the national media never wants to be the first one to say something, well, some people live to be the first one to say something outlandish, but for the most part, they don't want to sound dumb. A lot of these guys want to have approved opinions, and you don't want to come out and attack a guy. What? A, so, yeah, he's had some down years, and now it's become trendy to trash the guy, so now they're taking it too far. But but if we're going to play this game with the Packers, then we should be playing it with the, the, the Patriots because it's to an even higher level. Tom Brady is having a really abysmal year, and especially toward the end of the year. The wide receivers are terrible. So fine, let's play this game then. Let's start talking about Tom Brady and these wide receivers and how the, pa- the Patriots actually, despite having won a bunch of play- uh, Super Bowls in the past, it looks like they're kind of frauds this year. They don't belong. They don't have a good enough quarterback wide receiver group. Because that's the standard, apparently. It doesn't matter if you can run the ball. It doesn't matter if you have a great defense. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. Offensive line means nothing. All that matters is quarterback-wide receiver. I'm being entirely sarcastic if you haven't picked up on it. It's just annoying. But let's continue on because we're not done. The next group I have are teams that only have one wide receiver. And this is based on... And this was the entire purpose of why I was doing this. I just wanted to see other teams that just have one wide receiver. And I tried to use some kind of a standard and came out with Packers actually have two. But the Saints have one wide receiver. And again, you can rank these however you want. Some people are going to roll their eyes at the fact that I have the Saints like 11th out of 13. But they're in the third tier because they have one wide receiver. Guess how highly ranked their number two wide receiver is. Ted Ginn is their number two wide receiver. You know where he's ranked? 92nd. You want to talk about having one wide receiver? You got the best wide receiver in football, and the next best receiver you have is barely a top 100. There is literally nobody else on this team. That's a terrible group. I mean, it, again, it's hard to call it terrible when you have Thomas on your team. But, I mean, so, I mean, come on. The Texans have Hopkins, but they also have Fuller and Stills. I, I'm going to have a hard time if you want to just look at one guy, which, again, that's not allowed because if you have one guy and nobody else, you're a gar- you have a garbage group. That's the criteria we keep hearing. So then how can we turn around and say the Saints have a great wide receiver group or the Saints don't have a problem because they got one guy and nobody else? we got to pick a narrative here. I'm just playing by your rules, and I don't mean you necessarily. I'm talking past you to the national media folks who say the Packers are frauds because they just have one guy. Are the Saints frauds? Well, no, because they make it work. Okay, then stop saying it's because they have Adams and nobody else. Because, number one, it's not necessarily true. And, number two, that's not a reason that, that a team would be bad. Yeah, they're winning, but they only have one wide receiver. Do you say that about the Saints? Do you say that about the Patriots? Yeah, they're winning, but they don't have any wide receiver. Yeah, the Seahawks are winning, but they don't have any wide receivers. Yeah, the Chiefs are winning, but they only have one wide receiver, Tyree Kill. After that, Michael Hardman is no good. Yeah, the 49ers have Sanders, but that's about it. Titans have A.J. Brown, but that's pretty much it. Everybody else isn't that great. 
Nobody's saying that about any other team but the Packers. And by the way, it's about to get worse. We still got two more teams we haven't even mentioned yet. Second from the bottom, I have the Eagles. There's Alshon Jeffrey at number 27. I, th- there's nobody else. Alshon Jeffrey is barely a number one, and that is the only wide receiver they have on this entire garbage team. Nelson Aguilar is their number two. He is 93rd out of 99 wide receivers. 93 out of 99. He's one of the worst wide receivers in all of football. They have one wide receiver that's barely even a number one and nobody else. And you're telling me the Packers have a problem because they just have a top 10 wide receiver in Devontae Adams? Come on now, let's be consistent with this. And then finally, the worst group of all, which again, you're never going to hear this because they've got a wonder boy at quarterback. It's the re- you're never going to hear anyone complain about the Patriots because they got Wonder Boy quarterback. You're never going to hear anyone complain about the, the Chiefs. Right? There, there are just certain teams that nobody wants to complain about. And the Packers have gone from the media favorites to everybody's favorite to trash. And that, then, you know, it's just the media get, be, gets to be trendy. Just like Twitter and everything else, it, it becomes trends. I, I want to jump on the bandwagon. I want to have an opinion on that. I want to say it too. But if we were going to be honest with this narrative, there are a lot worse groups than the Packers. But the worst group that I could find is the Baltimore Ravens. The best wide receiver they have on that entire team is Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown is not a number one wide receiver. Hollywood Brown is rated 44th overall. To make matters worse, they don't have anyone else. It would be one thing if they had two number two wide receivers. They don't. They have a number two wide receiver in Hollywood Brown, and they have Willie Sneed, who is 82nd overall. They have one number two, and that's it. I, I guess a number three, whatever. Everybody's got a bunch of pile of number. The Packers have like six number threes. That's why I just omitted it, because if you start doing all the number threes, you're going to have lists a mile long of wide receivers. There's only 99 wide receivers. The top 96 would technically be number three. So basically we're talking about every, I'm just making a list of every wide receiver. So that's why I look at top 64. And again, you can do this any way you want. You can rank these however you want. This was my standard just because I wanted to be able to say, okay, if I were to create a list, how would I rank the wide receivers? And and what kind of a way could you do it? And especially since the question is you only have one, I want to know how many teams have. Do you have one? Do you have two? Do you have three? This was the criteria I came up with. And I I think you're going to have a hard time if, if I challenged you to actually come up with a firm criteria beforehand. Say, this is how I would rank wide receivers. This is how I would look at teams as far as how good their group is. I would be stunned if you could find a way to put the Packers at the bottom of the list of just playoff teams. You, you could start by ranking the teams in order of, you know, the overall grades of their players. The Packers are going to come out ahead. If you want to start by looking at ranking the number ones and then going from there, you're, the Packers are still going to come out ahead. They're going to come out ahead of the Titans, the 49ers, the Bills, the Vikings, the, um, the Seahawks, the Patriots, the Eagles, and the Ravens. There's no way that I can think of that you can do this that has the Packers wide receiver group that is that bad. Again, just among playoff teams. This isn't even NFL-wide, and everyone's acting like they have the worst wide receiver group in all of football. Again, I'm not content with it. I would still love to get a wide receiver in the draft. I'd love to get somebody else in here because this this thing is really going to open up if we can start getting some more people that are open. I saw some people posting some highlights on Twitter of, like, Jordy or whatever, and I, I it was great because Jordy was put in the slot, and he just flew wide open within, like, four seconds. Aaron Rodgers threw a rocket pass, and it, it felt like that old rhythmic offense. Here's the thing. In about three seconds, Jordy had about four yards on the guy. Aaron Rodgers didn't even throw a perfect pass. It was kind of like at his hip instead of out in front of him. So Jordy had to kind of quickly adjust and catch and keep running, which Jordy's such a talented guy, you barely even notice it. But 
you, you put that in today's terms, you got a guy in the slot like Geronimo, he doesn't have separation, it gets thrown a little bit behind him and it gets batted down and it's like, this offense is terrible. Whereas if you get a Jordy in there, and I'm not saying we're going to go out and find a Jordy, but you get a guy like Jordy or put Devontae in the slot or whatever, you get that level of separation, which the reason you have that level of separation is because there's not extra attention being paid to the guy in the slot, Jordy Nelson, because you got Devontae on one side, you got Cobb over here, you got a bunch of guys all over the place, you can't be doubling everybody. So yes, I would love to get more help. I'd love to get some help at tight end. I'd love to get help in a lot of places to open up this offense a little bit. But again, going back to the narrative that the Packers aren't that good because they only have one wide receiver is ridiculous because a lot of teams fall into that category and still find ways to win. By the way, one of those teams is the Green Bay Packers. I don't think you've ever you can ever make a case and I'm I'm again, I'm I'm all for it. But one of the worst things that I I keep hearing is the Packers are never going to get anywhere with just one wide receiver. The league is filled with teams that only have one. In fact, it's rare to find teams with two really good wide receivers. Even the Texans, who I said have kind of like two number ones, have Hopkins and Fuller, and Fuller's kind of a, he's he's more of really a number. If I were to just label him, I'd say he's kind of a number two. Technically, based on my criteria, he's a top 32, so he's a number one. He's kind of a, he's a number two. Diggs and Thielen are the absolute rare exception, even despite the fact that they're both ranked in the 20s right now. Having two guys with top 10 potential is very rare in the NFL, and I'm talking historically. It just rarely ever happens. And I just want us to start having a proper context to things. Let's look at things the way that they actually are, as opposed to just being so laser zoomed in on the Green Bay Packers, seeing something that we see as a problem, and then acting as though it's a unique problem to the Packers. Well, we can't get ahead because we only have one. We got Devontae and nobody. How's this offense ever going to thrive? I don't know. Titans seem to be doing it. 49ers are doing it. Bills are doing it. Chiefs are doing it. Seahawks are doing it. Patriots are doing it. They barely even have a number one wide receiver. The Saints are doing it. The Eagles are doing it. The Ravens don't have any wide receivers and they're doing it. And I look, 49ers have a great tight end. The Ravens have a great tight end. Eagles have two really good tight ends. The, the Saints have a good tight end. You know, there's, there's other things. The Patriots don't have any tight ends. There's, there's the running game. There's the offensive line. There's the deep. There's a lot of other factors. But that's exactly the point, isn't it? That's exactly the point. There are other factors outside a wide receiver that affect things. So just having one top 10 wide receiver and a a top 10 quarterback, yes, I'm making the outlandish statement that a top 10 quarterback and wide receiver with a great offensive line and a really good run game and a solid defense might actually be enough to win games. You might struggle. You might struggle to throw the ball if you just have one wide receiver. That's true. You may have to become more scheme-dependent and system-dependent than than we're really used to, which might take away some of these beautiful, crazy, down-the-field throws that Aaron Rodgers used to make all the time when he had four number one wide receivers on the team. That's true. But guess what? You can still win football games if you'll submit to the fact that this is who we are now, at least until we can get a couple more weapons in here. Then, yeah, you can win, as evidenced by the fact that the Packers keep winning. So as I've said before, the problem isn't the fact that the Packers can't win. The problem is we keep trying to judge this team improperly. And it's really upsetting, and again, the reason I'm doing this, because if we're actually honest about this, every team almost has this exact same problem. Very few teams have a better wide receiver situation, even in the playoffs. Even by my own standard, the Packers have a mediocre playoff quarterback and a mediocre playoff um, wide receiver group. That's to say nothing about how good our, our running back is compared to everybody else. You think that the Texans have not had a running game in 10 years. Maybe that's an overstatement, but what, Arian Foster? That's to say nothing of the offensive line group. That The Texans have a terrible offensive line. 
The Titans are decent, but not as good as the Packers. 49ers offensive line isn't as good. The Bills offensive line isn't as good. The Vikings offensive line is a joke. The Chiefs offensive line isn't as good. The Seahawks offensive line is terrible. These are the variables in which the Packers actually come out ahead. And we're acting like they're they're a handicap team, like a bunch of guys in wheelchairs, like we're being charitable for allowing them in the playoffs. Who has a better group of pass rushers? I mean, I, I can just go down the line in which the Packers are not only, you know, at least up to par. I think regardless of what we're looking at, maybe tight end would be one of the lesser groups. I don't know. I can go down the line and keep doing this, but I feel like I've kind of made my point. You've got a bunch of standard play, standard people in, in certain positions, at worst, mediocre. And then you got a bunch of areas where they're really, 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 really good. How about cornerback duo, especially if you look at over the last four weeks? I would say among the, the playoff groups, well, I, I, I'll tell you what. Here's what we'll do. I, I do have a little bit of this information. I want to go through it. Why don't we take a break, and then we'll kind of go through some of the other variables. Some of the other things that nobody else wants to talk about, because they only want to talk about how the Packers have the worst wide receiver group in football, and that's why they're frauds, even though that entire narrative is dumb. But let's take a break, and then we'll look at some of those things. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So before I continue on, I wanted to get one more thought out there. I think some of my least favorite stats are the most exciting stats. Touchdowns, sacks, and interceptions are just dumb. And although you can use it to further solidify a point, if it's the main crux of your point, it's always a bad argument. Always. If you're basing the best corners and safeties on interceptions, if you're basing the best quarterback based on touchdowns or lack thereof, if you're basing the best pass rushers on sacks, and and, and listen, there's probably a pretty strong correlation, but it cannot be the crux of your argument. And the reason is because they're so fleeting. Touchdowns may be less so because you get several of those in a game. You can get upwards of 40, 50 touchdowns. I don't think you're getting much beyond that, but especially sacks and interceptions, because when you're looking at data... You want to have a lot of it. And if you're basing an argument on something that happened five times over the course of a season, it's a terrible argument. And I say all that to say another thing that that people are really stressed about, and I I just for a brief second looked a little bit at the Skip and Shannon thing, and I didn't even get to hear Skip talk about it. I just heard them mention how Aaron Rodgers didn't have a touchdown and it was the third time this season. So what? I, I don't even know where to start. It's so dumb. First of all, a touchdown is just the last play of a usually pretty long drive. A touchdown isn't just the last play. A touchdown is comprised of a very long series of plays that involve quarterback, offensive coordinator, head coach, offensive line, tight ends, wide receivers. It involves everybody. And so to say that Rodgers didn't do well because he didn't get those touchdowns is dumb. Aaron Rodgers doesn't get a lot of those touchdowns if Aaron Rodgers... Aaron Jones doesn't get a lot of those touchdowns if Aaron Rodgers doesn't drive the ball down the field to put Aaron Jones in position to get a touchdown. Of course Aaron Rodgers is responsible for the touchdowns. Now, again, there's there's a little bit of something there, right? Would he have more touchdowns if he was playing? Well, look at the pass to Devontae that was a little low and behind him. If that was put in the right spot, he probably had a throwing touchdown in that game. But to say that he had a bad game is, is kind of silly. 
Aaron Jones doesn't have very many touchdowns if Aaron Rodgers isn't the quarterback because if if you had some other quarterback playing, you start at your own 25-yard line, guess what happens? You go three and out because they stack the box. You can't throw. You can't run. You punt the ball. You don't get a touchdown. You're only getting touchdowns because Aaron Rodgers, as well, along with the help of the entire supporting cast, drove down the field and got a touchdown. Case in point, Mr. Kirk Cousins did have a touchdown in this game. Was he a better quarterback? Not even close. In fact, that might have been his only good throw of the entire game. Maybe he had like two good throws in the entire game. And it just so happens that their starting field position was such that he didn't even have to drive him down the field. He basically threw one really good pass, got a touchdown, and that was it. But statistically, he gets to check the magic box of touchdown. Because that's a big play. That means it means more. I don't think so. That accounts for one good pass in a game. The actual act of the touchdown, the, the, the point at which the, the, the score ticks over to a different score, is really just one play in a long series of plays, all of which on some level involve the quarterback and a bunch of other people. So saying that Aaron Rodgers didn't have a touchdown in this game, but they won, doesn't even mean they won despite him. They won largely because of him. He just didn't get that. He just didn't throw the ball on that final play when they scored. That's all that means. It's a ridiculous narrative. And again, there is a little bit of a correlation, right? If things were going a little bit better, would they take the ball out of his hand and put it in Aaron Jones' hand? Another factor, Aaron Jones is almost automatic when you get in the red zone. So, yeah, it's going to go to him a little bit more. So you can say there's a little something there, but trying to make a big deal out of it is ridiculous. The reason Aaron Jones has so many touchdowns, he doesn't get that many touchdowns if the the Packers offense doesn't get within scoring position every time, you know, on all those times when he scored a touchdown with the exception of a couple where he hit from kind of far out. But even then, you got to at least get to the 50 for him to get a 50-yard touchdown. I think you get my point. All right, let's look at some of the other variables that aren't quarterback and wide receiver because I think some people need to understand that a football team involves more than just wide receivers. So I want to look at things kind of concurrently, kind of talking about three things at once here. Number one is consistency um, in in recent weeks. Number two is just how good they are overall. And then the number three thing I want to look at is the fact that I actually think the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers are extremely similar. The 49ers get a ton of credit. The Packers get none. And I think they're very close to being identical team. Now, there are some certain positions that are just wildly different, like tight end, obviously. But a lot of the things that they have are, are running concurrently and in parallel. So anyways, let's. Th- those are the three things I want to look at. And I want to work through this quickly because we got to get going. And I should have been leaving for work by now. But again, don't care. Calling in for an hour. So number one, Kenny Clark, I think, has had about one bad game. And, and, and I, it's hard to actually, actually grasp on to bad. And I'm not just using grades here because there are some times when you have not super great grades, but the statistics and everything are, are on fire. So bad for me means the grades look bad, the stats look bad, nothing really went right in this game. I would say Kenny Clark has had one bad game since week nine, and that was against San Francisco. That was a brutal game. And that was also a game in which Kenny Clark maybe had the worst game of his career. And if I may segue for a moment, this is actually encouraging when I went back and looked at this, because so many players had the worst games of their entire career against San Francisco. If you envision a rematch, what are the odds that Kenny Clark plays that historically bad again? What are the odds that Jair Alexander plays that historically bad again? Very, very close to zero. If you get Kenny Clark and Jair and Kevin King and the rest of these guys playing at a level that they've been playing consistently, minus that 49ers game basically for about six weeks now, it's an entirely different game. I'm not saying it's an automatic win, but it's entirely different. Since that San Francisco game, Kenny Clark has had the third highest grade overall and the highest pass rush grade overall among all defensive interior players. 
He is tied for the most pressures with DeForest Buckner, San Francisco 49er, at 16 pressures and is number one in sacks with five. Actually, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think it was tied for most pressures. I don't know. I don't think that's entirely true, but it's close. Number one in sacks with five sacks in the period of four weeks. The only guy that has at least four is Aaron Donald. Draymond Jones has three. Everyone else is two or less in the last four weeks. So you got a bunch of zeros, a bunch of ones, a bunch of twos. Draymond has three. Aaron Donald has four. uh, Kenny Clark has five. He's also number one in stops with 12. Stops is an entirely different thing. It's basically a tackle that accounts for a negative play for the offense. He's number one. These are entirely different categories. One is rushing the passer. One is tackling the guy with the ball, which is probably going to be a running back because he's probably not tackling a ton of wide receivers behind the line of scrimmage. So he is the number, in terms of statistics, he's the best pass rusher and the best run defender as far as any statistic that I can find that's that's somewhat measurable. Now, it doesn't bear itself out in terms of grades aside from pass rush where he is the number one pass rusher as far as grade. But to further elaborate, the second highest amount of stops in the NFL right now is Grady Jarrett with 10. Now, he does have a lot of attempts, which would lead to higher numbers of sacks and stops and things. But even that, that's where the grades come in and say, no, nah, even based on per snap basis, it's pretty solid. But if you look at the grades and the stats together, it is staggering. And you could very easily make the case that he is the best interior defender in all of football over the last four weeks. So that is, number one, a variable that needs to be taken into account when we talk about these terrible wide receivers. And number two, we're looking at the parallel of him and DeForest Buckner and also the consistency that he's been this way basically since San Francisco. And if you eliminate that game, it's been a little bit before that. Let's move on to Zadarius Smith. Also in his category, the highest graded... So the number one edge rusher, if we're using PFF grades, number one pass rushing grade of all pass rushers is Darius Smith. The number one pass rushing defensive tackle is Kenny Clark. Does that maybe weigh in on any of these media pundits wanting to talk about which teams belong and which teams don't? Zadarius is also, and this is unbelievable, the second highest graded run defender of all edge rushers in football right now. He is the third highest graded tackler in football. He is the most un, the, the most dominant force probably in football over the last four weeks. I'm, I'm saying that without doing any kind of real research, but th- this is unbelievable. Best pass rusher, one of the best run defenders, one of the best tacklers. Looking at statistics, he is tied for second in pressures with Eric Armstead, San Francisco 49ers, behind only Marcus Golden, who somehow managed 23 pressures um, over that time, whereas uh, Zadarius and Eric Armstead have 17. He's also tied for second in stops, with Joey Bosa getting 11. It's really hard, talking about consistency, to make a case that he's had a bad game since week four against the Eagles. He's had some lower graded games, but some of those, like for one, I think he was like in the 60s, which isn't bad, it's average, but he had like seven pressures. So it's hard to call that a bad game. So I would say week four is the last time you could say that this guy has had a bad day. So can we count on him to be consistent throughout? I would say there's a good chance he's going to be playing at a pretty high level. Let's look at Preston Smith, who isn't quite as high. The, 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 the statistics are great. The grades have kind of dipped a little bit. But Preston was right now tied for eighth with 13 pressures and has managed at least four pressures every game over the last three weeks. There's your consistency. Preston, by the way, is tied with Nick Bosa in pressures, San Francisco 49ers, but has one more sack than he does. So Preston has the same amount of pressures as Nick Bosa. Zadarius has the same amount of pressures as Eric Armstead. And Kenny has the same amount of pressures as DeForest Buckner. Exactly tied. Isn't that interesting? I find that interesting. Looking at Rashawn Gary is more about consistency. 
Um, obviously, he's still growing. He's not quite like the Smith brothers, but he is, in, in, insofar as he's like his Smith brothers, he's a pressure machine. He has never not gotten a pressure when he's had at least 10 attempts. All he's needed is 10 attempts, and he gets a pressure. Every, every single time when he's given at least 10 times to get to the quarterback, he does. He has not gone without a single pressure since week 12 against the 49ers, which includes week 14 against the Redskins when he had a pressure on just four attempts. So the consistency and the growth is there for him. Let's look at Jair. I don't think Jair's had a bad game since week 9 against the Chargers. Now, you could throw in the 49ers if you want, but week 9 was the week in which he gave up 129 yards. The biggest game since then, five receptions, 58 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. Now, that also is debatable depending on how you want to look at that, but 58 yards is about as bad as it gets for him. This last game was also the first touchdown he's given up since week 7 against Oakland. Over the last four weeks, Jair is the 11th highest graded corner in all of football. There's your consistency, or growth, if you will, over these last few weeks. Because it is important. What is this team recently? I don't, I don't care what they were in week 4. I want to know what this team is now. And over the last four weeks, Jair is the 11th best corner in all of football. Kevin King has not had a bad day since about week 12 against the 49ers. That was his real bad day. Yes, one of them was, I believe, the call that wasn't attributed to him, but even if you subtract that, he's way into the hundreds of yards given up. Since then, however, and he did miss one game, I think, against Chicago, but since then, his worst game was three receptions for 35 yards and a touchdown, but he had a pick and a pass deflection in that game. I swear they changed these grades midweek. I don't know how I got this mixed up, but let's look at Kevin King and Jair Alexander as a duo. Not the most elite of elite, but it is a duo. Oh, that's probably why. i got to filter out the minimum snaps here. Even so, it's a little bit off, but let's look at this. If we look at overall grades, Jair is the 16th best corner. Kevin King is the 22nd best corner in football. That's a duo. I'll take that any day of the week. I'll take that over Jair being top five and Kevin King being 92nd. Give me 16th and 20th any day of the week. If we look purely at coverage ability over the last four weeks, just the coverage grade, Jair is 19th, Kevin King is 22nd. That's that's solid. And again, in that time period, not one of these guys has given up 100 yards. In the four weeks, they've only given up two touchdowns, one apiece. And in that time, Jair has a pick and two pass deflections. Kevin King has two picks and a pass deflection in four weeks. Kevin King over the last four weeks has had an NFL passer rating when targeted of 57.6. Jair, 64.9. That's a good duo, man. Any way you want to cut that up, that's a good duo. And by the way, four weeks, in my opinion, is consistency. I was having a hard time finding Kevin King getting two good games in a row. He's had, well, three. If, if Over four weeks, he's played three games, and they've been three very, very good games. I'm not trying to be sarcastic in any kind of way. He's playing really well. I'm not hard on Kevin King because I don't like him as a person. I'm hard on Kevin King because I don't think his production has been where I'd like it to be. I am more than happy with what he's doing right now. I am more than happy, by the way, with the timing of this. If you want to play terrible the first half of the season and then the second half, including the playoffs, you want to play really, really good football, I'm all on board. I don't care if you're the the fourth best or the 20th best. Just give me this through the playoffs, and I promise you, I I will go out and make a Kevin King jersey. I'll tell you what. If Kevin King can continue to play this way, which, it, it, I mean, if Zadarius could even be consistent for throughout the entire playoffs, that's unusual. Not many people do. But as, as a thing here, just because it's, you know, whatever, I will come out with a Kevin King t-shirt, and maybe I'll do a poll. You guys can figure out what the, what the t-shirt says. Probably going to be something anti-me, but that's fine. If Kevin King can play at this level, we'll come up with some strict criteria. I'll go into the Facebook group, and we'll try to come up with a criteria. If he can meet this criteria through the rest of the season... 
then I will officially come up with a new t-shirt design that is Kevin King-centric. Because this, this is it, man. This is all I've ever wanted from Kevin King. I don't ask for anything else. I don't care that he's a second-round pick, basically our first pick. I don't need him to be a top-10 corner. I, I'm content with top 30-ish. More than content. Don't give up 100-yard games. Don't give up a bunch of touchdowns. Just, just be solid whatever. And I don't, I don't care if it's well, it's because of the pass. I don't care what the reason is. Just don't have bad games. I don't care if you can basically sit out in the middle of the field with your legs crossed, not having to cover anybody because Darius is there in one second and they, the quarterback can't even get the ball to your guy anyways. I don't care the reason. Just keep doing it, man. Just keep doing it. Beyond content. So that's Kevin King and Jair Alexander. But then again, if you look at the other playoff team, granted there are some with some great duos, but having a cornerback duo is kind of a big deal. What teams do have cornerback duos? Well, the Patriots obviously do. they got two of the best corners in football right now in J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore. San Francisco definitely does in uh, Kwan Williams and Richard Sherman. I'm not sure if it's Kwan or Kawan. I think it's Kwan. And that is a better duo than what the Packers have. Again, it's not exactly a one-to-one, but there is still that, that duo thing that's going on. Minnesota has Trey Waynes and Mike Hughes, which is by all the accounts, by this grading system, whatever. It depends how you want to do it. Trey Waynes has a higher coverage grade. However, he's given up a touchdown, which both of our guys have. He has zero interceptions, zero pass breakup, and has a passer rating when targeted of 105.7. So again, you create the system however you want to do it. I'm just pointing out in a positive light that the Packers also have a duo. Dallas, I don't think, has a duo. They got Byron Jones. What's, what's Baltimore? I mean, Baltimore does have a couple good corners, but I'm just looking based on this criteria. Marcus Peters is 31st overall. I know if you do for the season, they've got a couple good guys, but I'm looking at over the last few weeks, where, where's Baltimore's duo? I'm not seeing it. And by the way, Tremont is 35th on this list, which is just outside of that top 32 marker, which by the way, having two number ones and a very early number two is a great trio. New England doesn't even have that. Minnesota might have a better duo. They don't have a trio. San Francisco has a duo. They don't have a trio. Tennessee has a good duo. They don't have a trio. So looking at the corner, it's, it's a really good cornerback group. They've got a duo, the, uh, two guys that are basically number one, not perfect, but they've been playing real solid football over the last four weeks. They've got a number three guy, a slot guy, who's borderline a number one corner. And really the only reason that he's not in this group, he's been one of our best corners all year is because he had one bad game in a four-week stretch. He's one of our most consistent players throughout the course of the year. Tremont hasn't had a single game where he's given up even 80 yards, and he's only given up two touchdowns the whole season. So under 80 yards every single game, and he's never given up more than one touchdown for a total of two on the entire season. By the way, just a couple other things before we close this out to kind of hammer on the San Francisco 49ers thing. Looking at pro football focus grades, Jimmy G and and Aaron Rodgers are very similar. If you're looking at wide receivers, again, I think the 49ers and the Packers are pretty close when you look at Adams as the number one and Sanders as the number one, which would be Adams is a little bit better than Sanders, but that's the number one. You've got Alan Lazard at 52. They got Debo Samuel at 51. The only real difference here is that they've got Kendrick Bourne at 55. And this is over the course of the season. The other interesting thing is if if you change it to what about the last four weeks, well, Devontae's kind of fallen off the last four weeks. He hasn't done much as far as what he did because a lot of what he did that was really good was at the early part of the season. So in the last four weeks, actually, as far as grades go again, Alan Lazard is 34th and Devontae is 37th. So that's not super great. However, Emmanuel Sanders is 45th. So he's also completely fallen off. 
not because he's a bad wide receiver. It just hasn't been the great greatest four week stretch. So even if you if you compare, so they got Kendrick Bourne twenty ninth, Emmanuel Sanders forty fifth. That's pretty comparable to Lazard and Devontae at thirty four and thirty seven. So over the course of the season, the Packers receivers are similar. If you look over the last four weeks, the Packers and Forty Nine ers receivers are similar. Furthermore, let's look at the running backs. Aaron Jones. Here, here's a comparison of Aaron Jones and Raheem Mostert over the last four weeks. Sixty three attempts. 357 yards, 5.7 average, 5 touchdown. So in order to keep it a little closer in mind, Aaron Jones, 63 attempts, Raheem Mostert, 54 attempts. Aaron Jones, 357 yards, Mostert, 322 yards. Aaron Jones, 5.7 average, Mostert, 6.0 average. Aaron Jones, 5 touchdowns, Mostert, 4 touchdowns. They're very, very similar. So we've got, as far as pressures, we have defensive tackles that are identical and two pass rushers that are identical. We've got quarterbacks that are grading out almost exactly the same. You've got wide receivers that are grading out almost exactly the same. You've got running backs with almost identical stats. The biggest differences that I can think of, I think the Packers' safety duo is heads and tails better, um, but the 49ers have a better linebacker in Fred Warner than the Packers have. Obviously, the, the 49ers have a better tight end. I think the Packers have a slightly better offensive line. And the you know the, the corners, again, there's there's... I would say similar because they have a better duo, but again, the Packers have a have a number three that, that accounts for basically being a starting corner. He's good enough to be a starting corner. The 49ers don't have a third. So do they have a better duo? Yes. But the Packers have, and, and it's rare. You're not going to find teams that have trios. Very, very rarely are you going to find teams with a trio. And so I, I, I don't know how to bring this all back into full picture, but the, the narrative against the Packers is nonsense for a lot of reasons. The areas in which they get trashed, I think the Packers are at worst average, but yet they don't get nearly enough credit. The Packers have the number one defensive tackle in football right now. They have the number one pass rusher in football right now. They are they are identical to the to the the 49ers in some of the most critical categories: quarterback, wide receivers, two pass rushers, a defensive tackle, nearly identical running back. But yet the 49ers are an elite team that the Packers hope that they don't have to see because, you know, they'll just get thrashed, which again, I think is nonsense. You know, look, the 49ers absolutely can beat them again, especially in San Francisco. But judging who the Packers were then and saying that that's going to happen again is nonsense. Kenny Clark is not going to have the worst game of his career again. He's playing some of the best football of his career right now. Best defensive tackle in football. That's a big difference between horrible defensive tackle that the 49ers faced last time and best defensive tackle in football. Big difference. Jair and Kevin King, much better cornerback play than they played in San Francisco. The offensive rhythm as a whole is just a different offense. The running game, not necessarily Aaron Jones's grades, but just the, the rhythm again of the offense, the outside, the inside, everything is just married together nicely. I'm not saying the Packers have this locked up if they play the 49ers, but the idea that it's going to be the same game is kind of ridiculous. And again, the larger point that I'm making is the lack of respect to the Packers is nonsensical. If you want to say they're not the best team in the playoffs right now, that's fine. But you could easily make a case that they are. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, Brian Balaga, Zadarius Smith, Kenny Clark, Jair and Kevin King, Amos and Savage. I mean, just just from top to bottom, left to right, everywhere you look, with the exception of a couple little little areas like tight end. You know, number two and three wide receiver, kind of, although it's pretty similar to what everybody else has. Linebacker, with the exception of a few areas that aren't perfect, this is a very, very elite football team. Every team, by the way, is imperfect. The question is, how many imperfections? How bad are the imperfections? And then the areas that aren't imperfections, how good are they? 
And as I said, the, the Packers in some categories are some of the best players in all of football right now. So anyways, I feel I've adequately made my case. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the Detroit Lions. We'll just kind of combine everything into one episode. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.